Welcome to Reforming Slavics uh, with Nick and Tom today. Yo. And uh, we're going to be talking about joy. Um, the scripture is feathered and peppered and, and salted with the emotion of joy. And yeah, it, uh, primarily the discussion that brought this to mind is in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, mm-hmm. those first three and then it obviously goes to what is long suffering, which is patience in the new translations, um, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and then the end, self control. Now, today we technically lose the definition of joy in a lot of, in a lot of places because we conflate joy and happiness a lot of times. Which they are practically the same. Like you can define joy as as feeling happy, and here's the proposition um, that I think is derived from scripture that you find most joy in the thing that you value most. The thing that provides the most joy and fulfillment or um, happiness to you is the thing you place the most value in in your life. Right? People say, "Well, I I live for my family," and so. The reason you do that is because you derive the most joy from your family. In other words, everybody's a heathenist. And John Piper is famous for quoting the term, or coining the term really, Christian hedonism. Meaning, you are most most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Yeah, because hedonism means you take an approach to life, whatever you get the most pleasure from, that's what you should uh, indulge yourself in. Right, and so when you uh, interact with um, Galatians, uh, Galatians five gives you two lists in which um, it describes works: the work of the flesh and the work of the spirit. And it's contrasted by the fact that there's a pre-Christ list and a post-Christ list, and it's supposed to uh, reaffirm or readjust our decision-making when we experience joy, the things that we should experience joy in. And the reason it's so crucial is because truly the only way to experience true Christian's joy is to place our most valuable affection on the all-satisfying person of Jesus Christ. Yeah. When you're saying like uh, whatever people find the most uh, like... Uh, joy in right yeah or people that see the most important thing in their life right well pretty much like purpose what's it when you ask someone like what's the purpose of life yeah but also you know in particular like some people truly enjoy food they just that is their vice vice using that's the thing they go to that's the most satisfying thing to them some people really enjoy alcohol and so they get you know get drunk off that some people really enjoy working out yeah and so people always pursue pleasure Mm. that allows them to feel good right joy is fundamentally in motion that can be described as it makes you feel good something that makes you feel good it's a good feeling and you could have that as someone who is secular who does not know christ but you can have it in only one of two ways and i'll get back to that but i'd like to read galatians and the list that is written down by paul so Galatians 5.19 and I believe 
almost to the end. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, or in my transition, anger, rivalings, rivalings, um, rivalries, rivalries, is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. Uh, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you as I warned you before, those who do not who do such things do not inherit the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have been crucified, have crucified the flesh which is with its passions, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep this in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoked one another to envy, env- envying one another. So, is there a, like, what would you say is the opposite of joy, like, in the work of, a fle- in the, work of the flesh? Uh, grumbling, complaint. I think biggest, one of the bigger things would be unthankful, grumbling, and complaining. People yeah. who who are never satisfied. It does say like envy. You can't. You obviously can't. You're not joyful if you're jealous, right? Well, here's the thing. This gets into the idea of how do how is joy actually produced? Because some people derive happiness out of the fact that they pursue someone else's things, right? Jealousy. Um. And people have happy feelings from the entire list of um, wor- the works of the flesh. Like, yeah. people in this world derive joy out of the works of the flesh. Yeah. And then later on, Paul's us to do what? He calls us to crucify your flesh with your passions and desires. That phrase does not sound joyful whatsoever. Crucify, like, if, if you would bring up a phrase or a word that would describe or put a smile on your face that's going to happen to me, like, you're going to get a million dollars. Joy. If you're going to, you know, experience a great birthday party. Awesome. You're going to go on vacation. You're going to get crucified. That does not derive joy in your heart, right? That's not the immediate reaction you have. And yet, Paul says, you have crucified your flesh with its passions and, and desires. Yeah, because, right, the Romans would leave in the cross or the the victim on the cross for many hours until they would literally die of suffocation. Yeah. And so modern man's definition of joy is the pursuit of the works of the flesh. Right? That's the thing that they derive joy from. That's what brings satisfaction and happiness. And so there are ultimately two ways people go about this. Mm-hmm. One is people try to manifest the reality. They, they smile all the time. These are the people who you think are fake. They have fake joy. They, they're fake happy, right? They are always smiling. They encounter situations that are horrific and pretend to still hold on to happiness. And you're like, man, like that's not how it's supposed to work. Like You should feel depressed because of this thing. This is a horrible thing that has occurred to you. Why are you so happy? And say, well, that's just kind of my outlook on life. And so people that are ignoring the reality by trying to push... Uh they're like forcing themselves in other words yeah they 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 believe that they can manifest through the attempt of desiring or creating a feeling they can manifest a different reality for themselves the problem with that is it's 
ultimately absolutely draining and absolutely divorced from reality. And so you don't have truth in your joy. It's not truthful joy. It's it's a it's a demented version of a world that you don't live in. And it ultimately drains you absolutely and you crash. You eventually do crash because there's nothing to fall down onto, right? You're just pretending that you have an emotion that you don't have. Uh, and is it like, is that kind of like stoicism? Very much so like stoicism, right? Stoicism has a lot of good applications where they try to capture and control emotion, right? Not emotionally react to everything and kind of create a way in which you live where you determine the emotion you want to have. Mm-hmm. But again, we have natural reactions of joy, fear, dread, yeah. anxiety. Yeah, if some... Uh you know, if someone came and, you know, pointed a gun at you, or if there was a fire in your house, uh, you would very quickly not be a stoic when your life is in danger, right? Yeah, there is a natural reaction that is produced in our bodies. Yeah. Right? You see a bear, bear, you're terrified. Yeah. So maybe the question is, like, what do we do in that circumstance? Not like, how do we... It's not that we can control every circumstance, but we can control what we do with our emotions, right? To or, an extent, yeah. Emotions to, are both um, spontaneous and controllable. And it like if if you fall, if you lose your grip in rock climbing, you lose your grip and you start falling. There's an emotion of sheer panic. No matter how much you try, you're not going to be able to control that. But if your kid is, um, you know being annoying and you start get annoyed well there you have an opportunity to control your annoyance and recognize like that's your problem it's not your kid who's annoying you you're the one who's allowing that emotion to well up in you and then the second kind of person first are the people who try to manifest their reality through uh, sheer will and the other person is the one who simply is along for the ride in their life every moment every day brings a new emotion and they can only be joyful when that moment grants them joy there is no um consistency right they're constant constantly unstable they're constantly denying the fact that they have any control over over their emotions and that's a roller coaster of a life you never have stability you never recognize that you can control any part of your of your emotions and so, the reason I'm mentioning these things is both of them are inconsistent with, with, with what the scripture prescribes. Because one is the works of the flesh, which we all possess. Mm. And then the addition is, well, here's the fruit of the Spirit. And it was, you know, Paul recognizes that we can't accomplish the list because it's the very fruit of the Spirit. It is God himself enabling us to accomplish these emotions. Mm-hmm. And if we recognize that the thing we enjoy most is the thing we value most, we as Christians really quickly recognize, oh, that is and it should be God. right? He is the source and the object of all our joy. And that's why when... You mentioned uh, James, and James says, um, rejoice when you have various kinds of trials, knowing that, that, that those trials produce in you 
was it long-suffering or steadfastness? Mm-hmm. Why does James say that? Well, because at the moment of your trial, you don't experience the reaction of joy. But you can be joyful because it's a commandment. God commands us to be rejoice. Rejoice always. And so... Yeah, that's what Philippians 4 verse 4 says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, I will say again, rejoice. And the question is how? And, and here is something I'll throw at you. It you, says in this chapter. Yeah. If you want to spoil it. Yeah, but... <laughs> Um, here's, you know, if, if we're supposed to rejoice always, yeah. the one thing I place I can think of, there is no joy is hell. I think it's antithetical. Joy is antithetical to hell, right? There mm-hmm. is no joy in hell. Then how come like believers or I mean, non-believers will say like, oh, we're going to have a party in hell because they falsely, um, believe that there is any joy outside of God's common grace mm. or his special grace. So the only joy they ever experience on earth is just merely God's common grace. Yeah. Even the derived pleasure from sin is a distortion or a misuse of God's good gifts. Mm. And when you strip away God himself, you are left with anything but joy. And so here are the two things you can bring up. Like one, God says rejoice always. And two, we know that there is no joy in hell. So the thing that we must recognize is that God is the one who is producing and granting joy and God is not present in hell. Mm. And so how do we go about in this life being joyful? Well, it has to be recognizing that God is the main source of joy. I mean, that's why it says rejoice in the Lord always. And that's where, you know, people can uh, suffer and they could have, they could uh, get anxious and they could be, uh, feel pain through their, through their trials, through actual things, circumstances they can't control, like, you know, disease or natural disaster. But, a lot of times people feel depressed and anxious because of their own sin. Like, a lot of times that's what is actually hindering us. And it's like rejoice in the Lord always. And that's what happens when we rejoice in our sin, right? Because obviously we wouldn't, we wouldn't sin if we don't, we wouldn't find at least some kind of joy in it. When you sin, you shift the value you put onto Christ, mm-hmm. you shift that value, the most valuable thing, onto your own pleasure and satisfaction. You shift the glory that God rightly deserves and you put it onto yourself because you become the most important person in the universe at that moment. And that is why Paul says those who live in the Spirit or those who... um. Against such things there is no law. Those who are in Christ have crucified themselves, their flesh with their passions and desires. In Galatians. Yeah, in Galatians. Paul says the reason these are the results of this fruit of the Spirit or the, the things that the Spirit creates is because you have to be in the Spirit 
in the spirit, constantly abiding in the spirit in order to produce them. In other words, if you as a Christian or me as a Christian am not experiencing joy, I soon have to recognize that I'm no longer in the spirit. I'm now living by my flesh. Because there's, I guess it's the wrong assumption because we, we have taken from like secular thought. We've, we've, we like believe this thought from the society and the world that joy comes from within ourselves. Like almost that, like we can change our, the way we think about something just like from ourselves, but you can't derive like we weren't able to create anything right life from life doesn't come from non-life like we have nothing that we can create yeah and you see for for example um life coaches or people who are motivational speakers they frame circumstances and and things in ways in which you can see a way of joy right um, if you're broke and you have no income and you're down on your luck, here's an opportunity that you can do. Here are the things you can do to try to achieve success. And for the majority of people who do these things will achieve success. Yeah. And so now you have become a work-based, you have to perform in order to achieve joy. Mm-hmm. And that just goes back to the person who ignores the reality of who they are and what their circumstances and tries to look to the future self to improve and again that's always gonna leave you empty because you're the one who's producing it yeah well that's so sad because like what happens if you think that you're gonna be happy once you have a job once you have a certain amount of kids that are successful what happens when those things are taken away from you and they were in job's case right yeah. That's what I mentioned. You are most joyful in the thing you put most value in. You have to recognize that all those things can be taken away. Right? That's that's death. <laughs> death is the is the event that occurs in your life when not only, you know, all your physical things are taken away, you yourself have no more control in this physical world. You're done. This this is the final countdown. Yeah. There's no there's no going back from that. And so Christians are called to be joyful in the face of not only destitute yeah. circumstances, not only poverty, not only crucifixion, but death itself. Mm-hmm. And so the only way you can rejoice in death itself is if you recognize that you know the one who conquered death. Yeah, like if you, what if you, Cause I don't want to say like you want to like put away everything in this world, all the like good things in this world and just like throw it away and you know, like put it aside. Like obviously we could rejoice in the gifts God has given us, but like when it becomes an idol, I guess that's when we literally start almost Set in our affection. That's what worship is, right? Like worship, like finding something more worthy and more honorable than God. At that time when we believe that object, that good gift that was supposed to help us point us to Christ, point us to God, has actually pointed us to ourselves. Yeah, God gives us a whole lot of good gifts that produce merriment in our hearts. 
And all those, again, are supposed to point to the giver of the gifts himself. And there is that, and you can't do that. You can't use God's good gifts to point to God unless you live in the Spirit. You you can't do that because you are at war with God mm-hmm. until you have crucified your flesh and all its desires. It's interesting, uh, in that verse uh, in Philippians 4.4, 4, when it says rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. It goes on to say, like, what your solution is to be rejoice. It's like, let your reasonable be knows, re- reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, another command, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? It's like, how do we get the peace of God? We guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellent thing, if there's anything worthy of praise... Think about these things. We, we're we not going to be... Like, joy, joy is an emotion, and the battle is in our mind. And it's like the flesh that wants to take away our joy. But this is also why um, the modern evangelical movement, especially with worship, is so false, so broken. Because all the songs are happy and fulfilling and, you know, mm. upbeat. They they are um, pointed toward happiness and fulfillment and joy, and yet Christians in the end of the eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, wrote hymns that were filled with sorrow and grief and pain and loss, and in the midst of that, still were joyful. And like you mentioned, we we have we have taken away the object of our joy, which is Jesus Christ, and we have put as the target joy itself and that is why you are expected to have joyful music during worship and passionate music during worship but god forbid that you have any music that no induces some kind of emotion that is sad or or, or full of grief yeah that will cause the person to have to be sad over his his relationship with God right now. Or even his loss, right? We, we as Christians are not, again, we're not Stoics who deny the present reality of our lives and say we're going to be emotionally happy. And we're not those who are taken by every wave of, the Bible says doctrine, but every wave of emotion that comes by and hopping on every wave. We as Christians are f- like firmly planted on the rock, which is Christ. Mm-hmm. And we have waves of emotions that come. And we can experience joy and fulfillment at those moments. And when the valleys come, we can experience grief and sadness. But in the midst of all those, the object of the most valuable thing that we possess does not change. And that's why we can be grief, grieving and joyful in our grief. Because if we had lost the most dear thing to us on earth, we have not lost the most dear thing to us in this universe, which is Christ himself. And so until you point all of your 
affections as most worthy to Christ, you will constantly be thrown either to the people who deny the reality of their grief or pursue every possible hype moment from conference to conference, from experience to experience, from upbeat song to upbeat song. Yeah, because oftentimes you'll hear like, oh, your circumstance doesn't define you and that like God wants the vic- God wants you to have a victory right now. It's like, what does that mean though? Like Christ does want you, like, yeah, but maybe it's not right now. <laughs> maybe it's when you die. There's there's gonna be a rejoicing. Uh, I mean, a victory. But that doesn't mean you're gonna have uh, victory over certain <laughs> financial status in your life. You're not always gonna have. A victory in the kind of health that you wanted but we're looking towards a hope right a hope a hope that we're already that we already have it wouldn't be called hope that's what the romans romans talks about and that we're looking forward to the revealing of the sons of god to the redeeming of our bodies mm-hmm. yeah and at we, the resurrection we as slavics have a uh challenging time with this especially if you look at any photo from the soviet union like we don't smile there is no expression of joy in a lot of the songs we sing are very solemn and um bleak and i think that's the challenge to the slavic community to experience christ's joy in true fullness the fullness of his personhood meaning that we can see him for who he is and we can experience a smile once in a while at least yeah. knowing who he is right even though circumstances be bleak do you think there's a difference between like kind of what we would experience with you know praying until i guess there's a way to pray right that causes you to rejoice and then a way to pray that almost like conjures up just a momentary just a momentary happiness ah the hype train yeah because like god this this goes back to like what are you thinking about like when you're thinking about what is true what is pure like what are we meditating on do we have well it might sound uh oh so like it might sound so what's the word scholar scholarly and i don't want to like say like pharisaical or whatever but like we must have right theology because, yeah like what we think about god who he is is going to change what we do when we come to prayer what would what happens when we worship what happens like if we have wrong theology if we have a wrong view of the study of God, then how are we going to know what to think about when we think about God? Well, we were just talking about the hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, Lord, God of Glory, Lord of Light, Hearts Unfolding Like Flowers Before Thee, Open Sun, Melt the Clouds of Sin and Sadness, right? We adore God with joy because we get to know Him. And every single time you get to know the Lord more, you will experience joy because he's the source of it. Mm. And the more 
you experience God, the more valuable he becomes in your life, the more precious he is in your mind, and the more of your life he fills up. This is a verse in Jeremiah that says, Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 9, 23, let not the man wise what let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understands and knows me, and that I am that I am the Lord. And this this is a verse <clears throat> that uh A. W. Pink uh quotes in his book Attributes of God. And this is in his preface, uh he has a whole entire book going through all the attributes of God laid out in scripture. And he says in this preface that the foundation of all true knowledge of God must be a clear mental apprehension of his perfections as revealed in Holy Scripture. An unknown God can neither be trusted, served, nor worshipped. Like, how are we, uh, like when we think about like, how do we, Think about what is true, what is lovely, what is to have peace, like, or what is this God that gives us joy, or what happens when one of our loved ones goes and denies Christ and dies in their sins? How can we still trust and love God knowing that He is just? Well, we, we need to understand in Scripture, right? Ultimately, we either have a finite source of joy, which can be found on this earth and will eventually fail because we will die. Or we have an infinite source of joy in God himself, which cannot fail, which cannot fade, which is everlasting and eternal. And the choice has to be made whether we trust God for whom he really is through getting to know him more because we trust him more because of God who we don't know we cannot trust um, or we decide to hold on to the finite things on this earth and derive joy from them but that's a very like vampiric kind of relationship with this world we just suck joy out of it we, we try to gain every possible um, thing that produces happiness in us and we can't really be satisfied. I think, how come like even non-believers have recognized that it's better to give like than to receive? Because it produces joy in us. It, we, we, if we, if we give joyfully, right? Um, Paul says, you can't just give. You have to be a cheerful giver. You are following God after him. You are following God's footsteps. God is the ultimate giver, the father of gifts, all good things come from him. And if we recognize that and we follow God, mm. God's acts after him, we are capable of experiencing the joy that God has meant for us to experience by acting like him. That just goes to show animals are not made in the image of God because they don't have that kind of, they don't have that kind of joy when they give, right? Yeah, animals don't give. They, they're always taking, uh, they're always thinking, uh, the way they're designed is not to give, but to always to take, right? Yeah, and so we get to experience a small glimpse of who God is and how He experiences joy, and through through giving us yeah. life and breath and everything that we have. What about dogs, though? 
they always seem to be such joy givers. Like they're always happy when they're the person is home. Do you think? I have no comment on dogs. Sorry, Tom. I don't own a dog. <laughs> but like, why is they why why are they always so joyful? Like, uh, I don't think because animals some, can experience joy necessarily. I think they experience delight. I think they experience pleasure. I think. But do you think it's they're doing it in a selfish way that? I mean. I don't know. I, I think because I'm trying to think of like the argument against against me, like saying, "Oh, humans are animals because dogs can are somehow uh, they give they give out of uh, they find joy giving other humans joy." I mean, there are characteristics in certain animals that just function in the way they were made to function, right? They do because that's who they are. There's no thought process behind it. There's mm. no reason why. It's their nature. Yeah. Interesting. Do you think... Uh, what do you think the purpose of suffering does for us in our joy? Uh, James says, rejoice in various trials that... Event the eventual result of that, I believe, is being steadfast. Uh, and what that means is a consistent outlook on life as a Christian, a consistent dependence on God, and a consist consistent sorry, a consistent experience of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in your life, mm-hmm. which worked out throughout your life, will make you more like Jesus Christ Himself. And after you die, experience eternal joy. Yeah, because I'm thinking like, it seems like so, like almost every verse that talks about suffering, it's it's like, it always says, it commands that, you to rejoice. Yeah, and then it then it says that you may rejoice more, or that you may be to see God's glory better. Because there's nothing better to see than, than, than God's glory. Yeah, counter all joy, my brothers, when you fo- meet various trials, various kinds of trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Steadfastness, when it is full effect, it may be perfect and complete, lacking. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Mm-hmm. And the the thing that we're lacking is the fruit of the spirit, which are which is mentioned in Galatians. And the only way to grow up in that is to abide in Christ and to reject the works of the flesh and to be crucified with him. Crucify our desires and passions on the cross. And that's a daily occurrence in which we pray and are thankful to God in thanksgiving every day, right? As Philippians, Paul writes, yeah. always, always rejoice, be thankful, steadfast in prayer, because that is the long-term trajectory of a christian the reason christians should be joyful on earth is because we are expecting exceedingly greater joy in heaven and the reason people who do not know christ can't be joyful here on earth in a christian way is because they are expecting a joyless hell for eternity and so those are two opposites in which there is no reconciliation right yeah or they deny god and say uh 
there's not going to be any kind of justice like for my sins, for my wrongdoings. There's just going to be nothingness. But that is not joy nevertheless. Yeah, it still produces nihilism. Yeah. You like the the nihilist would say, well, nothing matters and therefore I can live my life in any way I want. But that does not give you happiness or joy. It gives you a ever-ending useless task list right nothing matters there's no purpose in anything nothing produces any good because when i'm gone i'm gone and i can't experience the things i leave so the only worldview that gives actual joy sustaining joy joy through trials joy in something infinite that you can possess is christ himself i want to just take a nihilist wallet and be like nothing really matters (laughs) Yeah. As like Queen, you know, sings in his uh what is a Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah, Bohemian nothing, Rhapsody. Nothing really matters. And it's like well put that to your put that to the test. Put that to the logical conclusion. And that's the logical conclusion of people who deny Christ. I mean either There's no he- logic. Well hell for, I mean hell for eternity cannot have joy. And darkness and nothingness for eternity cares not about anything sad or joyful for that matter, right? Or grumbling or complaining. There is nothingness. And so if you want to truly be joyful, you have to put all of your all of your weight, all the weight that you hold valuable on Jesus yeah. Christ. That's when like when we're thinking about like transgenderism is on the rise in, in especially in America. In the Western world, I think people are finding they don't feel joy in their life. They don't feel satisfaction, so they're they're putting their identity in. Like I, I think I was something is wrong with me, and so their solution is: I think I need to live as this other person, or I need to live who the real me is. And it's not the it's not the it's not the gender I was assigned at. And then God's saying. No, I did make you like this, but we live in a fallen world. And the Christian worldview says your sin is actually keeping you away from who you truly, who you truly uh, should be. You should repent of your sins and turn to Christ that you may live and have actual joy. And that's like something that I wish, you know, we would be more. Like we need to tell people more about. Like they they're just hungry for this uh, Christian worldview that they don't even know about. Yeah, a lot of people change their bodies. Some people change their location, and you know, a lot of people trying to move um, to a different state or, or a different um, city if they have a lot of issues in their life at that state. And like the problem when you move is you go with you, and the problem when you transition genders like you transition. To still being you, you have an you need an outside source of joy in order to satisfy you, and even I mean, speak of the United speaking of the United States and all the things we're experiencing in the modern world, like the pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is like engraved in our founding documents, mm. and I, I think fundamentally everyone recognizes that pers- that the pursuit of happiness is innately engraved in all of us. Like, we want joyfulness. We want happiness. We want to be happy. And that is a glimpse of the fact that we truly do desire 
um, God in, not necessarily God, but we desire something that was left over from the fall. There is a um, pursuit, we, we tend to pursue wrongly as human beings, but there is a pursuit of happiness that we all want. And we war against God because we refuse to submit to his way of life, his the way he created the world to be. But the falsity in that is if we do accept it, we can actually experience the joy and we don't no, we no longer need to pursue anything. We have been found by him. Just try, joyful.